0: sick with the slang sick in a different for fame. fame do for the fam, not for the gram stuntin it destined for pain fame. i do not front i do not scam put some respect on my name, name. sick like a bang clickin a bang y'all remember the name hey. y'all remember the name what's up ladies and gentlemen boys and girls around the world i would like to welcome you to a live episode of real talk with zubi this is a uh, first time doing it in this format so you guys are going to have to let me know what you think about this this is going out live right now on YouTube, on Twitter, and on Facebook, so let me know what you think of this format. Now, today's guest is a police officer from New York in the U.S. of A, and this is, of course, Zeke Arkham, the cop with an attitude. Welcome to the show, man. How you doing?
1: Thanks, brother. Thanks, brother. Thanks for having me on. It's definitely an honor.
0: Feeling it's an good honor to have. Awesome, man. It's an honor to have you on, bro. So I've done a real brief intro there, but for people who are not familiar with who you are... Tell them a little bit about you, man.
1: Uh, you know, I like said, I'm a, I'm a cop in New York City. Um, I have 15 years of experience. I've worked everything, you know, from patrol to undercover to uh, specialty units, you know, uh, gang, drugs. I've done it all. I've worked in uh, tactical units. So, um, you know, I've always been involved in different details mm-hmm. and I've had a great career so far. Definitely happy for the decisions I've made. And, uh, I'm at the bottom. I'm at the last half of it, so uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to closing it out.
0: No doubt, man. Well, let's let's run it back a little bit, man. I mean, how did you get into the police force? What made you decide to to go into that? What was um, tell us a little bit about your life story and background behind that?
1: Well, I was actually a bouncer in okay. New
0: York before
1: uh, I became a cop. So I uh, I liked that, you know, being outside. I like you know. Um, talking to people, being face-to-face with them. You know, I tried Norfolk's job. I hated it. Um, You know, I just, I didn't want to sit at a desk all day or, you know, just sit and be bored looking at a wall. So uh, I actually put in for uh, the police department and I put in for the fire department. And the police department called me back first.
0: Oh, okay. Wow. And um, did you grow up? So did you grow up in New York? Is that where you're originally from as well?
1: Yep. Born and raised. Uh, It's the only place I've ever lived. It's the only place I've ever you know, really experienced. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I wanted to live in other parts of the United States, but uh, New York is pretty
0: much all its own. I hear that, man. And what was it like growing up in New York? I mean, especially over the past couple of decades. I know it's a city that's changed a lot, um, you know, through the the 80s, the 90s, the thousands. What was, how has it changed and what was your experience like? Uh, Well, it's, it's funny because I grew up
1: in South Jamaica Queens, okay, yeah, which is a pretty rough neighborhood and I 50, moved
0: that's where fifty cents from, right? yes, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I know that I actually knew his family growing up they, uh, really? his family oh. grew, lived down the block from where my grandmother was, oh wow, okay, uh, and then I lived in East New York, Brooklyn where uh notorious b i g is from, mm-hmm. so <laughs> I've got all these connections to these rappers, but uh both neighborhoods have changed a lot. Mm. Uh, especially uh, East New York, Brooklyn. You're seeing a lot of uh, trendy hotels, sidewalk cafes. You know, if you had told me back in 1992 when I grew up there that uh, there would be a sidewalk cafe in a trendy hotel where I grew up, I would have never believed you. Mm. But uh, I, I I went there about a month ago. I hadn't been there since the early 90s, and I went there about a month ago. And my partner that I was driving around with must have been he must've been very confused. Cause I was, you know, Hey, look, there's a hotel here. Look, there's a restaurant here. Look, there's All a right. cafe here, you know? So, <laughs> you know, he, what, he could, he could, you know, to him, he'd never been there before. So he didn't know why I was bugging out so bad, but um,
0: yeah. yeah, it's definitely a change. No doubt, man. I mean, what was it, what was it like at that time? I mean, you hear stories, of course you hear of, you know, this part of this town being dangerous or this part being dangerous or whatever, but what was it, what was it like in, Reality, you know, your childhood, your teenage years, etc. What was it like growing up in that sort of environment?
1: Honestly, I didn't know I lived in a bad neighborhood. Mm. Um, I played with my friends out in front of our building. Um, I went to the store. Um, you know, I walked around all times of the night. Yep. Uh, I didn't know I was in a bad neighborhood. I guess my, you know, I don't know if my mom shielded me from a lot, or I was just very, uh, I was used to it. Mm-hmm. I didn't know I lived in a bad neighborhood until I moved into another section of Queens. And then I started telling people like, you know, this is where I'm from. They were like, oh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, to me, it was just growing up. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, you could always tell when someone bought a new gun because they would go to the top of my building and start just target practice on the roof. Oh, wow. <laughs> so uh, to me, it was, you know, it was just that happens at night. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, I had no idea. Um, you know, even the, the, the Chinese food stores here, um, you know, back in Brooklyn or in South Jamaica, there, there's like a thick plexiglass. Uh, separating you from the worker,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I didn't know that was that was out of the ordinary until I yeah. moved to uh, Queens, and it was like, oh, wait a minute, you know, there's no plexiglass. You <laughs> know,
0: <laughs> that's funny, man. So
1: I, I had no idea.
0: Oh, interesting, man. And so, tell us about getting involved in the in the police force. Uh, so you said you applied to both the police and the fire department as well. So, what was that process like? And once you got accepted run us through the process there.
1: Well, I mean, everybody says it's easy to become a cop. I can mm. tell you firsthand. It is not. Okay. Uh, there's a whole battery of psychological tests you have to take. Uh, there's a physical test you have to take. Um, I mean, do they push a couple of candidates through for diversity's sake? I'm guessing maybe,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but um, it's not, it's not a process that just anyone can get into. Uh, my
0: best friend growing up
1: actually applied to the police department and he got disqualified. And he's an
0: army veteran. Okay. Disqualified so, on what basis?
1: Uh, he got, he told him how much he drinks. You know, he, he developed gotcha. uh, a little bit of a drinking problem in the army mm. and uh, he told him exactly how much he drinks and they disqualified him. Gotcha. Um, so it's not a simple, easy process. It's not a process where just anyone can get in, you know, do they do, do a few bad apples slip through the cracks? Yeah. You know, I'm mm. not going to say that, that, that that's not the case, but, um, it's not a, simple process Um, and then once you're in the academy they test you even more uh you know just physically mentally um you know they they prepare you for the job Mm -hmm. and then your first year on the job is extremely eye-opening so i mean you're you're constantly getting tested you're constantly getting pushed to the next level Mm -hmm. um i didn't want to just be stagnant my whole career i didn't want to just work in one place and you know and for guys that are doing that there's nothing wrong with that but me personally i I just wanted to always achieve more i wanted to achieve as much as i possibly could so you know when undercover opened up i went into it Mm -hmm. when uh you know different units came along vice gang i went into it so uh like i said you know i've enjoyed my career i've done a lot
2: yeah
1: um you know i've I've seen a lot
2: Mm
1: -hmm. um you know, my wife is always saying that, you know, I'm not the same person that she met when we first started dating. Oh, that's interesting. And, and that's true. You know, uh, it, it does change your perspective. The more you do, the more your perspective changes. The more you see, the more mm-hmm. your perspective changes. So, you know, it's not like you just, you know, all of a sudden became this person that, you know, with the same viewpoints that you were, that you didn't have when you first started. Um, you're definitely changed by life experience. Mm
0: hmm. What, what are some of those changes, man? Talk, talk us through that. So what was something that, or what were some of the things that you felt or you believed when you went into it that you've shifted on over time? How did that, and how did that happen?
1: Uh, wow, there, there's a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, I had a lieutenant who uh, sort of took me under his wing when I first joined the job. And he said to me too, uh, he was a black lieutenant. And he said, no matter what your viewpoints are now, They're going to change. He goes, the more you get involved in the job, the more you do, Mm -hmm. the more your viewpoints are going to change, you know, just uh, between uh, immigration, illegal immigration, things like that, Mm -hmm. between um, just uh, uh, different stances on social justice, you know, when you work hard to put someone behind bars and they're let go almost immediately, Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, viewpoints on uh, gun control, things like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, they all change, you know, just to give you an example, just for gun control, before I took the job, I didn't think anyone should have a gun, you know, what what do you need a gun for? Um, and now I'm a huge proponent of the second amendment,
0: you know, Mm -hmm. so, um, what was it specifically that shifted your view on that?
1: I mean, just seeing how people were attacked in their homes and had nothing to defend themselves with. Um, you know, pusher robberies were a big thing for a while Mm -hmm. and. People always say, you know, if I had a gun, I would have been able to do something about it. Mm. And I start to see more and more like, wow, you know, yeah, you know, the Second Amendment is there for a reason. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's for protection, most of all. Um, you know, my, my job allows you to, to have an on-duty gun and an off-duty gun. Mm-hmm. And a lot of cops buy a couple more guns and uh i i've turned into one of them <laughs> you know <laughs> uh...
0: <laughs> yeah no, it's it's something that's really interesting um you know i i'm a i'm not american but i am very pro second amendment um but obviously being someone who is from and lives in the uk it's a it's a really interesting conversation to have with people from different perspectives you know if you talk to people here in the uk or generally in europe it tends to be more like the former Um, opinion that you that you have or had Um, whereas if you know you talk to more certainly if you talk to more you know especially conservative leaning americans or some not most but some conservative brits or europeans they tend to be sort of more pro-second amendment so it's really interesting to see the sort of arguments on both sides and even what words mean to people so when someone says gun control you know what do they what do they mean by that i mean i'm here in the uk like the cops don't even have guns here for the most part right you know only <laughs> only the specialist units do um let alone the citizens so in the uk it's a very foreign concept to a lot of people the idea of citizens owning guns but then i know in a lot of parts and to a lot of people in the usa the notion of citizens not being able to own guns or police especially <laughs> not having guns it just strikes them as really bizarre so i'm i'm really fascinated about just the different perspectives on, on issues like that.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, like I said, you know, you go from not you know, believing that no one should have a gun mm. or, you know, the the gun ownership should be very limited to now. I'm just sort of like, you know, get whatever you can get your hands on. Okay. You know, legal, legally. Um, but then again, I, I've always made the argument. I've made a couple of gun arrests. Mm -hmm. I have never arrested a legal firearm owner for shooting in the street. You know, everybody I've ever arrested for shootings or having a gun Mm
2: -hmm.
1: doesn't have a permit.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, so if these, if these quote unquote bad guys have guns Mm -hmm. and they're getting access to everything they can get their hands on, you know, if I'm a legal law abiding citizen, why can't I have that same firepower?
0: Yeah.
1: You know, just to protect my family, to protect my home, to protect myself. Mm -hmm. Um.
0: There's. there's you, different... Yeah. No. Sorry. I don't mean. Don't mean to interrupt. Finish your thought.
1: No. There's. You know. There's. Uh, matter of fact, there was a. Uh, there was an officer involved shooting a couple of weeks ago, where an officer was driving home, and someone attempted to carjack him. Oh wow. And and he he the only reason he was able to stop it was because he had a firearm on him.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So you know I'm I'm with law-abiding citizens on this. You know, yep. to me, it's not like really a good guy, bad guy kind of thing. If you're you're obeying the law and you have that for your protection, I don't understand why there's such a pushback against it. But, you know, like I said, that's that's me personally, just from my experiences in law enforcement.
0: Yeah, sure thing. No, I understand that. That's a really interesting perspective, especially to hear that from, um, you know, a law enforcement officer. When it comes to something like the Second Amendment, I mean, when people talk about the Second Amendment, when people talk about gun control, do you think that... The Where do you think those lines should be drawn? Do you think that any additional gun control measures are needed? Do you think that there's enough, but the laws need to be enforced better? Do you think perhaps there's already too many restrictions? I know people who think that as well. What are your sort of thoughts on that? Because there's a range of opinions on that as well. You know, there's the people who full on think, you know, you should be able to own, you know, shall not be infringed. I should be able to, <laughs> I be able to own a tank, rocket launcher, sniper rifle, you know, machine gun, whatever I want. And then you have the people who are more like, mm, you know, maybe it should be limited to these guns or this magazine capacity, or there should be this check or that check. Where do you stand on that?
1: Um, honestly, hey, listen, if, if you have the money to go out and buy a tank, I'm all for it. <laughs> give, give me a ride, you know. Hey, listen,
0: you know? <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Uh,
1: you know, hey, listen, I want to drive it, you know. so. <laughs> You know, uh, you know, it's like I said, you know, I think the current laws on the books are good enough Yeah. as far as psychological background checks, as far as as far as, you know, making sure you're not a felon. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm all for that. That's great. Rah, rah. Good, good. Um, they, I mean, that's it, you know, enforce the current laws. Yeah. You know, yeah. The most most legal gun owners out there, they, they just want to do the right thing. They're not looking yeah. to bother anybody. They carry just for their protection or to stop a threat. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not you know, shooting out in the streets or, or firing shots in the air. Um, you know, they just want to be left alone for the most part to, yeah. to be private citizens. I'm all for that. You know, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not. I've always gone on record to say, you know, let's say, God forbid, if anything does come down, they want me to go house to house confiscating firearms. I got to run home and get my stash. You know, <laughs> I got to <laughs> check my stash. Yeah. So, That's interesting. Uh, yeah. I, I'm, um, I'm definitely on board with the Second Amendment.
0: I hear that, man, 100%. So with that said and that established, I mean, this is a this is a big conversation. I mean, what do you think can be done to reduce firearm violence and firearm deaths? You know, whether you're talking about uh, mass shootings, which obviously get a lot of publicity, understandably, um, you know, mass shootings, school shootings, uh, or, you know, just gang violence in general, which is going to be, you know, account for far more homicides than either of the former two. Um, what do you think are some of the potential solutions for that?
1: Um, well, I'm all for personal accountability. Um, I want to see the parents get more involved. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I've done youth counseling when I was in gang. I, you know, I was one of the cops that, you know, I would pull you aside, you know, if you were a gang member mm-hmm. and just try to talk to you, you know, get in your head a little bit, you know, see mm-hmm. why you embrace this lifestyle. And the common theme that I got from those side conversations were just these kids really have no father figure in their lives. Um, And then here comes a gang with older guys that come along as father figures and directly point them in the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the parents have to get more involved. Uh, You know, make sure your kid's going to school. Make sure your kid has an education. Make sure your kid you know isn't playing with the wrong kids or Mm -hmm. isn't hanging out with the wrong people. Um, you know, it's gotta be more of a family atmosphere involved. You can set up all kinds of laws. You can set up all kinds of programs. You can set up, you know, after-school basketball, you can set up midnight basketball, anything you want, but the parents have to get more involved. Mm -hmm. I've always said that the parents have to get more involved. The reason I'm the man who I am today is because my mom made sure she knew who my friends were. She made sure I, you know, my homework was done. She was at every parents' teachers' conference, even though I hated it at the time. I see, you know, how it is now. Um, You know, the parents have to get more involved. Um, Aside from that, um, you know, you should be able to, I've always felt you should be able to have more control over your child's education. If your child isn't getting the proper education at one school, Mm -hmm. why shouldn't you be allowed to send them to another Either that, or hold that school responsible. If yeah. enough parents are saying, you know, my kid's not getting a great education at this school, talk to the principal, talk to the teachers. What are you doing? What are you not doing? Um, it's 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 got to start basically like that. It can't just be, you know, the the state comes in and fixes the problem, or the government yeah. comes in and fixes the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's never worked. Yeah. Um. It's mm-hmm. got to start with the parents.
0: Yeah. No. Start I. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. I think the, you know, I think everything starts with with family. You know, I think the biggest problem in a lot of communities, especially, is, you know, broken families and fatherless, you know, fatherless households, right? That's such a huge issue. And it's kind of this elephant in the room, which, you know, some, some people do talk about, but for even those of us who advocate for it and talk about it, I myself, you know, also wonder, okay, what are the sort of, very tangible and practical steps that can be taken to shift that you know because it, it probably won't happen in a generation it might take a generation or two I'm I'm like yourself I'm I'm huge on personal responsibility but I often wonder okay for you know people in certain circumstances how can that how can those values be Instilled, you know, because because they used to be there. That's the thing. It's like that's yeah. one thing where where I think society's taken a big step backwards. Right? We've moved forward in technology, we've moved forward in medicine, and all these other things. Even in terms of social attitudes, but when it comes to marriage and relationships and ch- raising children and you know, fathers sticking around and morality around you know, sex and all that stuff which has real downstream repercussions, as, as we both know, right. that's just backslid so hard, you know, it's got it's just gone so far backwards to the point where I I often look at the situation. I'm like, man, how can this be? Um, how How can this be reversed? Like, how can you encourage and teach and incentivize people, you know, men and women, you know, fathers and mothers to really do the right thing? And, you know, for fathers not to knock up a whole bunch of women and, you know, disappear and not be in their children's lives. And, you know, women not to go out and get pregnant by a bunch of different dudes, all that kind of uncomfortable stuff. That's where it stems from if you, if you really think about it. And I think by the time we're trying to deal with some of these issues, you're already like, you know, you're two decades too late, right? Like all, all that stuff has already happened. And now you're trying to deal with the, the dysfunctional symptoms of it. And you get the same thing in, in many countries. I mean, here in the UK, it tends to be knives, rather than guns. But you know, you, you still get the same right. violence in certain cities and things like that. And it seems like when they're trying to deal with it, they're always trying to deal with the symptom, but they're not addressing, or really even attempting to address any of the root causes. So do you have any ideas around that? Well,
1: one thing I've learned, you know, I was able to move my family. We, we live in uh, Long Island now, we're a little bit more, you know, it's, it's a different atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I'm noticing more just in you know, just in this neighborhood, as opposed to where I grew up, is you're you're always setting your children up for success. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everything is is centered towards your children doing better than you. Even my mom, when she raised me, uh, she always said, "You know, I want you to do better than this."
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I, I I did what I could with what I had, but I want you to do better. She sacrificed so that my brothers and I could do better, and we mm-hmm. and, you know we all did. Um, even in, in this neighborhood here, you know the schools. They make sure the schools are on point. They make sure the playgrounds are on point. They make sure you know summer classes and summer learning is on point. Everything is done to set your kids up to have a better education than you had, so that they can achieve more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I grew up in some of the projects, where I you know in, in South Jamaica or in Brooklyn, um, you know, you had parents there that actually like would point to the projects and go, "If this is good enough for me, it's good enough for my children." Oh, wow! Well. And to me, that was like a crazy mindset, you know, you know, it's like, but wait, there's garbage on the ground and there's spray paint and graffiti, you know, there's there's gangs hanging up on the roof. Like, yeah. you're OK with your children staying here. And they really had no problem with it. Yeah. This, if this is good enough for me, this is good enough for them. Mm. You know, nothing is done to elevate the next generation. And I think more of it has to be done. You know, you don't have to sentence your children. Or sentence future generations to how you grew up. You can yes. make sure they do better. Um, encourage them to, uh, to pursue educational, act, you know, uh, uh, activities. You know, encourage them to read. Encourage them to to do things to better themselves. You know, you, you ask the question: Why do uh, why do legal immigrants come here? Either from China or from India or even from other places like you know Africa. Uh, Jamaica, places like that. And they do so much better here mm. than, uh, than homegrown Black folk here. And it's because they see this place as a land of opportunity. They're going to make sure that their children and the next generations after that do as well as they can in order to uh, uh, elevate their bloodline, so to speak. And mm. um, that's just not going on in certain neighborhoods, you know, especially where I grew up. I have friends that still live there. Mm-hmm. I have friends that still you know they're in the same apartments they're doing the same things hang out in the same corners and they look at me who's the homeowner who's mm-hmm. gonna you know hopefully retire in five years and they're like, oh well you're you're an anomaly you know you you you're the x factor. we yeah. can't all do what you've done
2: yeah
1: and my answer to them is I didn't do anything special you know <laughs> you know it's not like i've <clears throat> I've got some sort of genius level intellect you know I like to think I do, but it's <laughs> not like you know, I did something that no one else could achieve. You know, I, I had the same exact opportunities you did. I did the mm-hmm. same things you did, but they make excuses. Oh well, you know, I, I I didn't have this in my life. I didn't have that in my life, which are just minor things. You know, you yeah. could easily do what I do, but you, yeah. you didn't. So I think more of that has to be done. Just elevate the next generation.
0: I, I hear that totally, man. What do you think is the biggest issue facing? let's call it the the black american community in the u.s i don't really like that term because i think that it's too broad right there's yeah <laughs> you have 13 million you know no, what do i what do i mean no like, four, like 40 million it's like 40 million black americans right something like that yeah 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 i don't think like 40 million people can really be considered a a community like that but what do you think are the the biggest issues facing that because you know we asked again you asked people you ask this question to different people, especially depending on where they sit socio-politically, you tend to get very different answers. Um, what do you think is the is the biggest hurdle in that sense?
1: Well, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. Um, okay. When I was when I was about 17 or 18, I was com- I was feeling sorry for myself. And I was complaining to my mother, you know, my father was barely around or, or wasn't there. I didn't have this growing up. I didn't have that growing up. I didn't live in this neighborhood. I didn't live in that neighborhood. And my mother looked at me and she said, You know what? You're absolutely right. Now get over it. You know. <laughs> That's that tough love, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you know, and I and my feelings were hurt for about a good week. Mm-hmm. You know, I avoided my mom for a week. But then I sat and I thought about it and I went, you know what? She's right. She's right. Yeah. Get over it. Yeah. Um, you know, that victim mentality I think keeps a lot of people shackled. Mm. Um, you know, just failing to get out of your own way. Yeah. You know, blaming everything else for your issues, you know, blaming some mystery white man somewhere, blaming racism, blaming, you know, uh, uh other things. Um, you know, I used I told you I used to speak to my great granddad a lot. Okay. And, and he grew up in 1920s North Carolina. Okay. So he that experienced yeah. bona fide racism. He experienced racism that, you know, me hearing those stories, I feel like I can't even complain, you know. Wow.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, you know, he's tell me about how, you know, if he had a friend that he hadn't seen in two days, he just assumed that friend was dead. Wow. You know, and sure enough, they'd be walking down the street going to school and they'd see their friend dead, you know, being lynched or, or being serious. Shot. What? Yeah. Jeez. That's just how prevalent it was back in nineteen twenties North Carolina. Wow. Um, That's you know,
0: insane.
1: And everyone knew who did it too, you know, really? but nothing could be done about it. That they just faced that kind of racism and that kind of hate. Mm-hmm. Um, and right before he passed away, he just looked at me and he said, you know what? He goes, I would have gone through all of this again. Everything I went through you know, in my childhood, in my youth, to see my children and my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren succeed the way you guys have. And mm-hmm. that just meant so much to me at the time. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm standing on his shoulders. So, um, you know, just take away that victim mentality. You Mm. know, if my great granddad never saw himself as a victim and worked to make sure that the future generations could do better. So can I, who has it so much more easier than he did. Yeah,
0: man, that's, that's crazy. It's, it's, it is, you know, that, that is something that does frustrate me with a lot of the, stuff that's going on, you know, right now in in 2020, when people talk about certain issues, when people, you know, are very quick to throw around the terms racism, institutional racism, structural racism, systemic racism, white supremacy, all these things where, where it's like, look, you know, no one, I don't think there are many people in the world who deny that racism exists to some degree and that there are some racist people in society and that there are some overhangs of historic racism that affect people, you know, in the modern world, especially if you're looking at black Americans, for example. But when you have that sort of comparison and reference point, like what you were just saying about your great grandfather, then that's when I'm just like, geez, like what can, sure, we always want things to be getting better, but people are acting like it's getting worse in that regard. I know things are not perfect and and things, things, things will never be perfect because human beings aren't, but Compared to not that, you know, you were saying 1920. That's not that long ago. That's a hundred years. hundred years is one person. Yeah. One, that's one lifetime, you know, two, one They're one and a half lifetimes. And the progress that's been made in that time is just insane. And I feel like a lot of the stuff that's going on now, a lot of this whole like anti-racism movement, the BLM stuff, I feel like it's, I think I feel like it's pouring gasoline on the embers. Racism is trying really hard to die out. <laughs> and people keep resuscitating it. Like people are just there, you know, no, no, like come back, you know, and they're just creating unnecessary tension and animosity and making people see race again a lot, you know, like go back to this, you know, black, this white, that black, this white. And I'm just like, guys, like, you know, like the the longer, the more you do that, it's like the wound is trying to heal and people just keep, just keep picking at it. Um, I mean, I'm sure you must have some interesting thoughts on the whole BLM movement and the uh, and so mm. I don't I don't I don't know where to begin with that one, but um it has it hasn't been um it must not have been an easy year to be a a police officer, let alone a black police officer in America. So man, I don't know what the question is, but tell me your feelings on that.
1: You know what? Um, I've I've worked more BLM rallies than than I care to have ever experienced in my life. Um, and what's, what's interesting is, though they come straight for me. Yeah. You know, me and all the other black officers. They'll, they'll push the white officers aside. They, excuse, me, <laughs> excuse me. You, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I, I remember there was one rally where this uh, woman, a black woman, for two straight hours, just, I mean, just went into me. Like I mean, just for two straight hours. I wanted to say to her, you know, lady, can I get a break? Like, wow can can you take a break you know can we can we pause you know i mean just for two straight hours i mean and you know just like you know it's like you said like they're not helping the situation at all you can't point to anything that's been done positively that's because of blm you know from from Colin Kaepernick taking a knee all the way to blm marching in the streets to people painting blm you know black lives matter on the street Mm-hmm. Nothing positive has been has come out of this. You can't say, you know, this law has been drafted directly because of Black Lives Matter, or you know, because Colin Kaepernick took a knee. Mm-hmm. Now these conversations have been had. And this progress has been made. You know, they they fashion themselves uh, a modern era civil rights uh, uh active you know activists and that's just not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, they they haven't done half the stuff a quarter of the stuff a tenth of the stuff that was actually done during the civil rights era when mm-hmm. there was actual bona fide racism and segregation going on
2: mm-hmm.
1: um you know it's like you said you know you're pouring gas mm-hmm. on smoldering embers those embers could go out on their own yeah but you're pouring gas on them yeah they're just they're making things worse um and what was, and this, what,
0: what was this woman saying to you i'm curious
1: oh wow uh <laughs> i mean for two I
0: don't, I don't know i don't know what i'd uh what I chastise someone for, for two, two straight hours. So I'm curious.
1: Oh, wow. I got called a coon, uh, oh, wow. probably out of that two hours, probably half of that was probably me, me getting called a coon, mm-hmm. uh, and uncle Tom, mm-hmm. um, me called me being called an oppressor and overseer, oh, wow. uh, a house Negro. I mean, she just, she went, she, I think she had like just a checklist of every name she could call me and she just went down that checklist and then went right back up it again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just for two hours. Matter of fact, it probably would have been longer if I had to, you know, go take action somewhere. I had to walk away from her. Yeah. But and, she and was this determined.
0: Is, and this is simply for you being black and being a police officer. This is just
1: me being black and a police officer. No other reason. Yeah. I'd never seen this woman before in my life. You know, yeah. <laughs> she, she had no idea who I was. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just for being black and a police officer. Matter of fact, uh, my partner at the time was another black cop. Mm-hmm. And um, he stood there with me and watched yeah. me take it. And we both got it. <laughs>
0: Did she have any? Um, did she have any sort of? What What did she want from you? Did she want you to just you know hand in your resignation? Did she like? No, did she I have don't... any requests that were like you know this is a particular grievance which I would like addressed? Or no, was it just... she
1: just she just I don't even think me handing in my resignation would have done anything. <laughs> she was just <laughs> she just she picked me. Yeah. And this other this this other officer and she just went in. I mean yeah. it was just. For two hours like <laughs> you know that's crazy
0: is this a, i'm just curious is this an older woman younger woman
1: uh, she was an older older woman older, yeah okay oh,
0: that's,
1: but that's i mean it, it, it's it's i i think if you talk to other black cops they've all had mm-hmm. the same exact experience working these uh rallies and details mm. uh you know they'll come straight for you yeah
0: i've seen yeah. some videos <laughs> seen yeah some, oh yeah i've seen some videos of it yeah it's yeah it's it's strange it's strange because I also think like whether or not I agree with somebody's movement or activism, I think they need to be clear on what they what they want. Right. Exactly. So th- this is the thing. Right. If you look back at civil rights era, like true social justice you know, movements, there were there were particular things that they wanted addressed and they had, you know, OK, this is a potential solution for this. This is a solution for this. This is a clear request. Right. We want the right to vote. We want to end segregation. We want to be allowed to go to these schools and these public facilities, et cetera, right? We just want to be integrated into society as Americans as we are, right? That's totally, like, I get it, right? But when it's just this sort of random anger going around and people like just, I don't know, shouting or, you know, looting, committing criminal activity, like whatever. And it's just, you know, what is this in the name of, you know? Everyone around the world was upset and outraged about the George Floyd incident. But the next thing you know, it looks like America, American cities are on fire. Stuff, statues are being toppled in the UK, right? Like <laughs> things are going on in Australia. And I'm just like, wait, what? What is going on here? Right? This is like a collective, a collective insanity. Which um, you know, some of the, some of the anger is you know potentially righteous anger, but it's all just spilled out into this. I call it emotional incontinence. It's just like, it's just all over the place. And when that happens, it makes things worse. It doesn't make anything better because there's no, even if you do listen, it's like, okay, well, what's the, what's the proposed solution? You know, what, what are your ideas? And it has to make sense, not just defund the police or dismantle the police. Like that's, that's, that's not a viable, <laughs> that's not a viable solution here. Um, but, you know, and then when they have, you know, the whole ACAB thing, right? All cops are, yeah. I mean, that, that must've been annoying, surely.
1: Oh no, I mean I've heard cool. all the chants, I've heard all the uh all of the uh little, little slogans and everything else. Mm-hmm. I mean it's it's just you know it's just like, okay, well, you know, like I mean you, you mentioned George Floyd. Yeah. Um and I think we were all on board with what we saw that mm-hmm. it was wrong. You know, even cops were saying it. You know, I said it. Yeah. You know, what I saw there was wrong. Yeah. Um I saw the body cam footage before. So it, so it helps to explain exactly what was going on in the minds of the officers. Um, I don't like to Monday morning quarterback cops, um, mm-hmm. just because you know you have the clarity there, you, you can see it from different eyes. Um, so I can't say whether or not I would have reacted that way. Mm-hmm. Um, just me personally, I probably wouldn't have, I probably would have stood him up. Um, just cause you know, just I'm, I'm very conscious of, uh, very conscious of of what everything looks like to other people yes or, you know yeah that's one of the things you know modern policing you keep in mind um you're very conscious of of what it looks like and what things look like from cameras and edited YouTube videos and you know they make you look very bad mm. so I don't know if I would have handled it the same way that this gentleman did this officer did um but we were all on board you know, after mm-hmm. george floyd we, we all felt sympathy for george floyd we also felt sympathy for that situation uh we were on board yeah and then came the looting and the rioting you know the the quote unquote mostly peaceful uh looting and rioting mm-hmm. um you know i was out there <laughs> i was out there when they tried to take over some of the precincts i was out there when they were throwing molotov cocktails into the vans yeah you know i was there um I I, there's no way I can support any of that at all um and and then just you know the next day you hear elected officials going oh uh you know the police had a had a very aggressive overly aggressive response to it and you're like wait you know (laughs) no we didn't (laughs) no that was that that was that was something I I heavily disagreed with Mm -hmm. um so I mean, you know, like I said, it's it's not something I can I don't think I can ever really get on board with Black Lives yeah. Matter, um, especially when if you look at the numbers of of officer involved shootings as compared to black on black crime, which no one wants to talk about. Mm. Um, you know, there are there bad police shootings. Yes, I'm not going to say that every police shooting is 100 percent on board. Yeah, are there bad police shootings? Yes. Mm-hmm. But they're so minuscule and they're so they're so small that they're almost not even a factor um, as compared to black-on-black shootings. I think, for example, uh, in Chicago this past weekend, there were 50 shootings. That's wild. Um, you know, and it, and it just increases every week. Like, it yeah. never takes a break. It's just there's always at least 40 to 50 shootings in Chicago. Mm-hmm. In Baltimore, there are always 40 to 50 shootings. Um, in st louis in los angeles in certain parts of brooklyn there's always shootings going on why aren't we addressing that why aren't Mm -hmm. we putting a spotlight on that why aren't you know these neighborhood watch committees that want to go after cops why aren't you going after the drug dealers the gangbangers why aren't you looking at them and saying hey listen they're directly contributing to the poison in this neighborhood let's go after them they are way more of us than there are of them let's go after them let's work with the police um but that's why I said, you know, the, the whole self-accountability thing, the whole victim of mentality, mm-hmm. that's what's holding a lot of black Americans back, in my yeah. opinion. You know, it's, things are never going to get better until problems are addressed. Yeah. You know, if, you know, we both work out a lot. If I have if I have a torn tricep, you know, I can't bench press my way out of that. <laughs> you know, I can't I can't push up my way out of that. Yeah, yeah. You know, you have to address that torn tricep before Mm -hmm. things get better Mm -hmm. same thing with black americans you have to address the problems that are directly in your face before things get better yeah
0: no I, i hear i hear that totally man um i hear that totally i mean a question a question i have for you is especially as someone who's who's been in the force for a long time is how do you how do you stay positive right how do you not reach a stage where you know, I think all of us get get, feel, get this feeling sometimes, right? Where, you know, we, we all, I think we all have this sort of love-hate relationship with humanity itself, right? So I love human beings. I love people. I'm a huge people person. Everything I do is about the people. But there are certain things you see or certain things you experience or certain things you hear, which just make you like, man, people suck. Like people are, people are terrible. And as a police officer, you, like you deal with, You know, you deal with the dregs of society, right? You deal with bad people. You deal with a lot of hostility. You deal with violence. You're dealing with gangs, drug dealers, all this kind of stuff. How do you maintain your sanity and peace and positivity to, you know, just kind of keep going day after day, month after month, year after year, especially in the face of a year like this one, where there is this spotlight, you know, there is this anti-police spotlight and you, you may, perhaps you feel like you're not getting the you know appreciation that you should be getting for doing a what is a very difficult job like i don't want to be a police officer i'll, I'll keep it 100 with you right like, I'm like no, I, 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 I love what i do right you know i don't i, I get some criticism but you know like I, it's generally a lot more love you know um so how do you handle that personally uh
1: i, I, I handle the same way a lot of other cops are doing it you know you get up every day and you, you put your vest on you put your gun belt on you put your boots on and you, and you go out um you know, there there are way more of those kind of cops than the, uh, you know, "quote unquote" bad cops you see mm-hmm. out there. Um, you know, you you don't take it out on someone that had nothing to do with how you feel. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I you know when I worked in, on patrol, I made it a point to go to the local bodega and buy water or buy you know snacks or whatever, mm-hmm. just so that they could see me every day. Um, you know, I, I spend time doing youth mentoring and talking to kids, trying to get, you know, trying to at least be like, almost like a big brother to them, mm-hmm. um, to show them that there's another way. <clears throat> you know, I'm not trying to influence how they think, I'm not trying to influence any sort of uh, political decisions they make, but I do ask them questions, you know, why do you feel this way? Explain why you don't like this person. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, 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 you can't start hating humanity yeah. and do this job at the same time. I know it's difficult, but uh, you, you can't have that mentality. Yeah. because it sours you and it does turn you into one of those quote unquote bad cops, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where now all of a sudden you want to take out all your anger and frustration on someone that doesn't deserve it or does yeah. you know, you know you, I, I see videos you know a lot of cops snapping and and swinging on people or punching people or you know cursing at people or yelling at them yeah. you know in this site like you can't have that mentality yeah um there there are people that were just born to be cops and mm-hmm. born to take the blows and take the abuse and they can start every day with a fresh outlook. And then there are those that probably shouldn't have the job. And I love my brothers in blue. I love my sisters in blue, but some of them shouldn't have the job. Hmm. We're not discussing, we're not discussing them. We're discussing the ones that should have the job. Gotcha. And, um, you know, you just, every day you've got to just start with a fresh, positive outlook and say, I might run to somebody where I'm going to change their life. I'm going to influence how they think I'm going to influence how they see cops. Mm -hmm. Um, one of my pet peeves is when parents point to me, you know, if I'm in uniform and they go, Hey, you see him, I'm going to tell the cop. If you, if you do something bad,
0: you know, Oh, okay.
1: that's like my pet peeve, you know, you're influencing a negative view of cops towards your child. Mm. Um, so, you know, I used to make it a point. Like if I heard a parent say that I would go up to the kid and shake their hand and, and, you know, try to, you know, soothe their feelings a little bit. For sure. Um, But, you know, you can't, you can't have that sort of mindset. Um, And you just, you you have to just try to stay as positive as you can. You know, if you need a day to just sort of decompress, take Mm -hmm. it. If if you need, you know, to go away with your family or just go home and just hug your your children a little harder, a little tighter, go ahead and do so. You know, my daughter gets unlimited hugs from me. So, (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, you know, sometimes I need it more than she does. Yeah. So uh, that that's how I cope. I understand, man.
0: I, I hear that totally. What's the what's the biggest misconception that people have about cops or about policing?
1: Uh, the whole good cop, bad cop thing. Okay. Um, you know, I've already said, like, you know, I don't know what you think goes on in police locker rooms, but it's not like, you know, us good cops are huddled in the corner going, oh, no. And the bad cops are, you know, twirling their mustaches going, oh, <laughs> you know. Uh, you know I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go rob a liquor store today and no one's going to say anything. <laughs> you know, and yeah. we're like, oh, no, you know, no, you know, I, I usually say, you know, when we hear about a quote unquote bad cop, we're hearing about it at the same time as everybody else is, you know, I oh, agree. wow. Hey, did you, did you hear what happened to Johnson? Yeah, I had no idea he was doing that. Mm. Um, and then I also ask, who do you think are out there arresting these bad cops? You know, mm. the bad cop fairy? No, it's, you know, usually it starts with the tip. From one of us and we call internal affairs and internal affairs goes and does what they have to do. Um, you know, when I'm, i had a good friend <laughs> that I used to work with, and uh he turned out to be a bad cop, a, you know, a bona fide bad cop. And uh when they asked me about it, I said I had no idea he was doing that. You know, I you know, I would call him every now and again, we work out together, but I had no idea he was a bad cop. You know, he kept that from me. Um, I guess because he knew I was one of the good cops. I I don't know what he thought, but he kept it from me. I Mm -hmm. had no idea. Um, The the, the notion that good cops aren't policing the bad cops is very false. There's no one that hates a bad cop more than a good cop Mm
2: -hmm. because they make
1: all of our jobs harder. You know, we have to hear about, oh, well, what about this guy? Oh, what about that guy? You know, know, look at what that guy did. You know, I told you all cops are bad. You know, and then, Mm then... you find yourself defending the job um, or, or, you know, I've I've come to the point where I go, I cannot intelligently speak for what another cop does. I can speak for myself. I can speak over for a broad overview, but I, I can't explain what he did. You know, I don't want to. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the whole good cop, bad cop thing is, there's, there's just, like I said, you know, there's so many Hollywood has, has sort of, I guess, glamorized the, the bad cop, you know, um, you know, you don't you don't see too many movies about, you know, a cop showing up, going to work, handling jobs and then going home. You know, yeah, that's
0: not that's not a movie, man. That's too boring.
1: No, that's, that's too boring. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Nobody wants to sit through an hour and a half of that. Yeah. You know, but they want to glamorize the bad cop that, you know, goes out there and he's, you know, taking drugs and he gets to shootouts. And, you know, mm. and it, that's just not the case. That's just man. not the case. It's gotten to the point I can't even really watch cop movies anymore because I get frustrated. Mm -hmm. So, uh, (laughs) you know, that's definitely not the case.
0: Over this year, there's been a lot of talk of, you know, reforming, reforming the police or changing certain policies and things like that. In your perspective, speaking firsthand as an officer, are there are that what are the changes that you think should be made that you think would be um, positive steps, whether that's to enhance the public perception of the police or perhaps to root out some of these so-called bad cops bad apples um, perhaps even at an earlier stage so that you don't get people who are even in the force to begin with who like you were saying before really shouldn't be there are there any particular policies that you think would be effective
1: uh I mean the only thing I can think of uh, that I personally would change um, well first of all uh, I would change the physical fitness standards I would I you know I would make it so that at least once a year, you have to pass a physical fitness test. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of departments are already doing that. I'd like to see some of the big city departments start doing that. Um, Just because I think that, just in my experience, I could be wrong, the more you care about your physical fitness and the more you care about your physical appearance, Mm -hmm. uh, whether it's in uniform, outside uniform, keeping physically fit, the more you are together just as a police officer or a law enforcement official. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying all of the big overweight cops are bad,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but um, you know, the more you take care of yourself, the more you, you care about your own health,
2: mm-hmm.
1: the more you care about just uh, your, your society in general in your mind.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, um, that's the only, that's the thing I would do personally. Maybe it's because I'm a fitness buff, maybe mm-hmm. you know because I'm a, I'm a muscle head, but uh, <laughs> you know, that's one thing I would change. Okay. Um, again, you know, it's, it's got to start with the community. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can you can, you can can put all kinds of restrictions and sanctions on the cops you want. Uh, you can defund the police. You can dismantle the police like what's happening in Minnesota right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Minneapolis, excuse me. Um, you, you can put all of these things into place. Criminals are still going to be criminals. Yep. Um, they're still going to go out there and rob people and kill people and, and steal and destroy and, and sell drugs and do everything they can. Um, it's got to stop the community. Yeah. Um, I mean, putting restrictions on cops is the easy answer. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to make cops do this now. They're going to have to fill this paperwork out now. They're going to have to uh, you know, go through this training or go to that training now to make them more sensitive or make them more inclusive or whatever. Mm-hmm. You can do all that you want. It's got to stop the community. The community has to stand up and say, you know, we're tired of the shootings. We're tired of the gunshots. Mm-hmm. That's also my other beef with Black Lives Matter. You know, they haven't done a single rally to to memorialize or try to find justice for children that have been shot. Yeah, um, been or or just random gang violence. You know, mm-hmm. their answer is always, oh, well, there's, you know, they, they did it. They, they rallied. You know, these mothers over here rallied. These people mm-hmm. over here rallied. Okay, but your name is Black Lives Matter. You have the attention of the media. You have the yes. attention of the politicians. Why aren't you out there bringing attention to this? Why aren't you out there ra- rallying to make sure that this young child's killer is found? Yes. Um, you know, it's got to stop the communities. You know, it, it. You can only do so much with cops. You have to mm.
0: do more with
1: communities. Yeah,
0: man. No, I, I hear that totally, man um that that's that's a criticism and a point i've been making i'm well, not i was going to say all year it's it's all you know the last five six years i've been right i've been making that same point because it's like you know it's focusing on 0.1 of the issue whilst ignoring 99.9 percent. and i agree if you you know I'm a black man, you're a black man. If you are going to call your movement or organizations Black Lives Matter, and you are ignoring over ninety-nine percent of the things that kill black people, then I am sorry. Like I'm I don't I don't take you serious, let alone the fact that you're you're then pushing all this other, you know, Marxist stuff or LGBT stuff or whatever, which has not which has nothing to do with the name that's on the tin, right? If you are actually about black lives matter, then let it be that, or let it not just be, you know, black lives matter. If they happen to be killed by a police officer in dubious circumstances and it's caught on camera, right? That's, right. that's a really long acronym, but that that's kind of <laughs> what, that's kind of what it is. You know, it's not, it is, if it were purely like, if it were actually black lives matter, yes, we can. Like I'm on, everyone is on board with that. People are on board with that. But when it's like, Oh no, we don't want to talk about that stuff or, no, no, we we're not talking about that one. Oh no, that, that's not, that doesn't count. That kid that, Oh no, those kids shot in Baltimore, Chicago. No, that, no, we can't talk about that. We can, I'm just like, come on, man. This is not, this is so disingenuous to me. You know, it's, it's a nice thing to throw in your bio and virtue signal and post your little hashtags and whatever, and feel like you're some sort of revolutionary. But like you said, you know, ultimately it's like, what is getting done? What are the tangible positive results? I can see tangible negative results, but I'm not seeing the positive ones. I mean, I'm here in the UK. Maybe there's some stuff, you know, maybe I'll get someone from BLM on the podcast so I can see what positives <laughs> have actually come out of it. But from what I see, it looks like race relations in America have gotten worse this year. It looks like it looks like things have been getting better, getting better. And it looks I think this year it's taken a I think it's taken a step back. And I don't think that's because of Trump or white supremacy or whatever. I think it's because of, you know, so called anti racism. I think it's because of some of this BLM stuff and the rioting, the looting, what people are what people are seeing all this critical race theory that's going into all these institutions and schools and organizations, all that stuff. I'm like, this is, this is not helping. Like this is, this is not helping. This is all a step backwards to me.
1: Well, yeah, I've always said that black lives matter should call themselves some black lives matter, mm. you know, put some in parentheses, you know, black lives matter because mm. you know, here's if, if I get shot and it's not by a white cop, they couldn't care less. No. Um, You know, it, it, it's, 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 it's almost like, you know, it's it, you're not being true to your name.
0: No.
1: Um, and as far as 2020, yeah, you know, I think racism, if left alone, will die. Yes. You know, I, I don't think anybody really is just, I mean, do black lives matter? Yes, of course. You know, who's going to say they don't? You know, mm-hmm. who's, who's going to sit there and go, I don't believe black lives matter. Of course they do. Yeah, but that's why also why I say all lives matter. Mm-hmm. Because I'm, I'm you know, if a, if a cop, does a bad shoot against a black man man i'm just as upset about that as i am if a black person kills another black person i'm just yeah. as upset as if a black child or any child gets killed mm-hmm. uh, i'm just as, as upset if uh, a black child is aborted yeah. you know i'm i'm upset over all of it that's yeah. why that's why i say all lives matter you know and, it, and it's not just black lives it's white mm-hmm. lives it's 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 hispanic lives it's it to me. It's all lives, you know. That's yeah. why I became a police officer because I want to stand up for all lives. I hear you. Um, as far as this black injustice, I used to say that Black Lives Matter. You know, can you tell me exactly where this systemic racism is happening,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and and who's in charge of it? <clears throat> can you let me know exactly where it's happening instead of just saying systemic racism as a broad umbre- umbrella term? Mm-hmm. And no one's been able to answer me with that.
2: Yeah,
1: you know, can you point out to me specifically where this systemic racism is going on in 2020? Mm-hmm. And then I usually get the, oh, well, slavery, you know, oh, no, we're not talking about slavery. I'm not a slave. You weren't a slave. You know, we don't know anybody that was a slave. We don't know anyone that knows anyone that was a slave. You know, I'm talking about today in 2020. Yeah. yeah. Well, back in 1965, no, we're not. Okay. Again, we're talking about 2020.
2: Yeah.
1: In 2020, can you tell me where systemic racism is, racism is going on?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it's almost like you want to create a problem just so you can say you're fighting it. Yep. And, um, you know, it, it, things have got to get better. They have just got to get better. Um, this whole victim mindset, this whole feeling sorry for yourself, this whole—you know—you you're dragging the corpse of racism around so you can say it exists. It's got to stop. It's got to get better, and people have to
0: take more accountability for themselves. Amen, Zeke. It's been amazing having you on the show, brother. Uh, Thank you really, so much. Really bro. enjoyed Thank listening you. to your perspective, man. Where can people find out more about you online?
1: Uh, well, right now, my, my main account is Twitter, Zeke Arkham. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I am branching out into podcasts. You know, I am branching out to see what else I can do to get my voice and perspective out there. Um, and that's it. I'll I'll announce everything on Twitter, and I branch out from there.
0: Awesome. Zeke, appreciate it, bro. Thanks for coming on the show, man.
1: Thank you so much for having me on. I am the man sick with the
0: sling, sick and I'm destined for fame.